tonight I wanted to start a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's why Chad read uh, out of Galatians 5. And uh, I was going to jump right into to the first gift of love, but, but as I got to, to really um, studying uh, on Galatians 5, uh, the introduction became the sermon. Because I was going to introduce uh, this, this idea of flesh and spirit. And so as you can tell, uh, Chad read some, uh, some different scripture. Um, you know, the, the before, the, I guess you could say the more famous scripture of Galatians 5, 22 through 24. There's this list of desires of the flesh, works of the flesh. And so, so we got this contrast between all this, this huge list, it's about double the list of, you know, what we call the fruit of the Spirit. And so, so you're, you're, you're thinking, man, you know, if that, if that kind of tells you something about human nature, you know, the best qualities was only about half of what these worst qualities is. And, uh, and so, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of dive into that tonight is what we'll call flesh versus the spirit. And so again, I'm going to read just a, a piece of what he read. Galatians 5, 22 through 24 says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. God, my Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come before uh, my church family tonight. God, I, I am always humbled at the opportunity to deliver your word. God, it is. It's a timeless message, Father. God, it is one that transcends God all of our problems and and the and all the things that we think are hopeless Father you God in you and your truth is always hope and God I pray Lord that, that you will speak that to each person tonight Father that you would um, God shake our beings Father with your words God, that we won't be the same if we leave this place the same, if we don't leave more mature. Father, if we don't leave convicted, if we don't leave repentant, Father, then we have come for no reason. If we don't leave praising Your name and honoring Your Son, then we, we have come for no reason. We have wasted our time. We have wasted Yours. God, I pray, Lord, that You will deal with each person accordingly. It's all in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Chapter 5 of Galatians, it starts out by saying in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Chapter 5 will also go on to speak of this difference between being justified by the law or by Christ. Justified by the law, the law of Moses, or justified by, the, by faith, by grace in Christ. Paul proclaims, as does Martin Luther, that those who would be justified by the law 
have fallen away from grace. He says that work that works, and he's speaking of circumcision and uncircumcision in this point. He says they, they count for nothing. That those works, whether you've been circumcised or uncircumcised, that they count for nothing but only faith working through love. You know, it's something that we hear a lot, but yet, and, and, and we believe it in one sense, but a lot of times our lives don't, they don't really fit what we believe, do they? Because we can say that, that we believe in that. We're justified by grace. We're justified by grace alone through faith in Christ Jesus, right? We believe that as, as Protestant believers, that we hold that core. You know, it's a dear, it's closed-fisted. We know that. But yet many times the way that we live is not quite so. The, the, the things that we fear... The anxiety we get, right? Uh, over over the, the way that we are. Over the things that, that can so easily ensnare us. Is that many times it feels more like we're on real shaky ground, doesn't it? In our faith. That, you know, and when we read words, you know, like I just said, that falling away from grace, immediately some people might think, oh, that means you know, you can lose your salvation. That might be the first thing that people think of. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying what you're choosing to do, you're choosing to be under a system that is impossible for you to keep the law. It's impossible for man to to keep that and to uh, get to God. It's impossible for them to earn a way to God, the Father, the Holy One. And so here, um, he tells, Paul goes on to tell the readers that they were called to freedom. Called to freedom. Out of bondage. But then Paul goes on to, he starts in verse 16, where he says to walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now in James chapter 1, you know, in his letter, James um, talks about that each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. You know, that, that's, that is um, what pulls us away is that we have this desire from within. Desire of the flesh. The things that are not of God. We use a word uh, around here a lot called depravity. And Tony and Brian talked about this a little bit. We talked about this tonight. Um, but we, we use that a lot. And I'm not sure if, if everybody always gets what that means. You know, because a lot of times I think that we can assume that y'all know what these words that we, we kind of throw around mean. And maybe not everybody understands what depravity means. Um, or we might say that we're depraved beings. Have y'all heard that? Depravity, depraved beings. Some might not know what the word means. It means that we're innately corrupt beings. It means you're evil at your core. It means that you and I, without God's interference, without His intervening, that we would spiral out of control. That without His grace upon our life, is that we would, there's no telling what we would do, what we might think. Like we don't ha- we don't need any help with that either. We we can sin 
just fine. And, and, if you, and if you've really forgotten how awful a sinner you can be or you have been, listen to me. Read the Word of God closely and ask yourself, how do I line up with Christ? If we forget. If we forget what the standard is, read the Sermon on the Mount. Read Galatians 5. Read 1 Corinthians 13. And can you say that your, that your love is that type of love? I think that we forget sometimes how evil we can be and some of the evil things that we've done. But we need to be reminded. You know, I believe that without God's interference... We would spiral out of control in our sin. There'd be no looking back. We would not contemplate it or even be convicted of it without God. Do you believe that? You wouldn't even contemplate it. If it wasn't for the truth spoken into your life, if it wasn't for for the Holy Spirit shining the light on your sin, you would not even think about it twice. You would not be convicted of it. Maybe sorry that you got caught. So maybe in a worldly sense, there would be sorrow connected to your sin. But only that it broke your heart in that you lost something here. You know? We would enjoy it, in fact, if God did not intervene. And and we would shout that we hate God or that He doesn't exist or we might not even think it God, of God at all. Have you ever thought about it that way? That if it wasn't for God intervening, that you would do one of those. Like you would shout that you hate Him. You would, you would broadcast your sin openly. And almost dare someone to challenge you on it. In fact, you know people like that, don't you? But that's exactly what we would be. We're not any better. And if we start looking at ourselves as any better, think, think what that what that really means. Because if you can boast of yourself, then you steal glory from God. If you boast of what you've done or who you are in comparison to what others are, you steal glory for what he's done in your life. You steal from Him, which does not belong to you. We would relish in our sin and we would die in it, wouldn't we? If it wasn't for God's intervening. When the writers of the Scripture speak of the flesh and going to war with it, they're they're not just talking about like the flesh as body. Okay? As as your body. and, And many theologians don't even necessarily see besides the fact that, that you know, it is a, a body that is slowly decaying, that there's not necessarily something evil within our body itself. But rather, your nature, who you are at your core, your ego, the I within, what, what you want, your mind, your, your soul, your spirit, 
The things that, that you crave, what we would say heart, you know, Brian was talking to me today, you know, the Bible refers to heart a lot, but it but it's really speaking of mind. But you desire the thoughts, those lusts, the things that you want. See, when it, when it's talking about flesh, I think I think we can almost in our minds, I know that I'm guilty of this. That in our minds we're, we're thinking of the flesh just as, as this. Because I mean, I always you know, talk about it like, man, I can't wait to get rid of this flesh because it is it's failing in it. Talking about the body. It's failing. But there's something deeper within me that, that actually needs just as much or more transformation, right? Just as much as this body needs to be transformed and me to get a new body. That... that when it's referring to the flesh, that, that it is referring to something much more spiritual. That it's referring to who we are in our being. That is what, that's what we fight against. And when it says to mutilate the flesh, do you think that God is talking about, when He says to crucify the flesh, to mutilate the flesh, do you think God is talking about that we really need to like cut ourselves? No. It's talking about spiritually. That we're to crucify ourselves and those things that we desire. Don't be fooled into thinking that your body wants one thing and your mind and your heart desire another. Your heart is corrupt. Your mind is corrupt. Naturally, without God's intervention, it would spiral. They can just as easily desire evil and sinful things. And what Paul reminds us of here is that we now have two natures. If you are redeemed, if the Holy Spirit has now taken over your faculties, that you have two natures. You have that old sinful man, and then you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. What a thought! What a concept to think about. In Galatians 5.17 says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these oppose to each other. See, the flesh is that natural though. It is what we naturally want. That Adam and Eve born, you know, made in the uh, likeness of, of God, right? Made in the image of God. But yet Seth, born in iniquity, much in the likeness of his earthly father, Adam, born in sin. And so you got one that's natural and, and, and in opposition is very supernatural, the spirit. And these things oppose each other is what Galatians says. And it says that they're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. You see there? It's trying to stop you from doing the things that you naturally want to do. So no matter if you want to sit there and we want to say that we're holier than thou, but the truth of the matter is, is that if it really came down to it, the worst thoughts that you've ever thought, you would actually do them. 
If there were no consequences and nobody watching them, you would fulfill them. And then you would fulfill something even worse because you just got through with that. And you would, your heart would not be satisfied and have to find something because it wouldn't fulfill it, would it? What you think that it would, what you think that would satisfy you wouldn't, would it? Because every time that you've tried that before, that's exactly what the natural man wants. The natural man knows that there's an emptiness, right? That's easy to see. This is how we were made. That I believe that we all know that there's an emptiness there. There's a hollowness there. But the natural man does not want to, he doesn't want to fill it with God. He wants to fill it with everything but God. He desires everything but God. And the only thing that can turn his eyes is God Himself. The only thing that can give him newness of life is a very supernatural thing that happens. If you don't believe it in that context, read John 3 carefully. Read Nicodemus' response. Read that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus and tell me it's something that man can do. Because it's not. It's something that God has to do. It's something that, that you can't... I can't... Go back in my mother's womb. Nicodemus didn't even understand. Like, what is he trying to say? Be born again. It's something that you can't do. It's something that has to happen to you. It has to happen to you. In verse 18, it says, But if, if, key word there, but if, and Piper says it this way, he puts it, being led by the Spirit is, is not like a NASCAR pace car, but rather a locomotive on a train. But if, because it says here, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But that, that if is key. If you are led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. Alright, and so you must be led by the Spirit. And he says, look, it's not the Spirit doesn't lead like a NASCAR pace car. You ever seen pace car? You know, they follow behind it. You know, going real slow and and, you know, they could at any time, you know, go around it. But it's more like a locomotive, right, on a train. The power comes from, it's pulling the cars, isn't it? That power is coming from the locomotive. That, that pace car isn't pulling those race cars, is it? In fact, it's keeping them slowed down. And they want to go faster. They, they want to go on their own. And they got the ability to, don't they? And that's how we want to look at it sometimes, almost like that. Like, you know, like, like we're in some kind of, he's our co-pilot. But that's not what it is. He, he should be driving it. He should be leading the way by pulling us. And, and that's why it shouldn't be burdensome to tell you the truth. Because if... If we do this Christian walk correctly, then that means that He's already won the victory. And now that we rely on Him. That's why we're supposed to pray about everything. It is, when you think about what we talked about in prayer, think about how arrogant it is for us to go into situations without praying about things. Because we are saying to God, we got this. There are things in my life I can handle. Right? 
There are things, you know, these are your things right here. Sickness, that's your thing, God. You know, we know that if we're sick, we need to come to you. But now, this little thing over here, uh, I can handle that on my own. Uh, really? I was with my daddy this week, and he was talking about how, you know, planting always during spring break, right? We've had this conversation. That's why I love, I love school. You know, and I hated spring break. And, uh, and so, so daddy was talking about, um, you know, how, you know, you put those tomatoes out and, you know, y'all know daddy, he, uh, he likes to roll that, he likes to gamble, he likes to roll that dice and he'll plant. Now, I mean, next year he's probably going to plant in January. I don't know. In the ground. He's like, oh, it's hot enough. I think it's, we had a 75 degree day in January. I think I put them out. And, uh, and so, but, but daddy, you know, he, he put all that plastic, you know, uh, the, um, he put some fabric over it. Because he knew that we were about to get some, some uh, really cold weather. And, and Daddy told me, he said, he said yeah, I, I healed up some. You know, they put dirt over some of the other ones we just left. You know, and the ones that made it, well, which ones? Yeah, the ones he didn't touch. And he said, look, I mess up everything. He said, he said God, you know, I just left it to God on these and, and these look good and you know, that's what we'll do though, won't we? When we put our hands to it, we always generally mess it up. And, um, and so we tend to do that in everything in our lives, not just tomato plants. But, um, but here, you know, we have to see the Spirit. We have to see God as necessary in all things, not in just some. Um, And when it says this, that you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I think that sometimes when when we read that, that that can confuse us, like really confuse us. When we say, okay, we're not under the law. What does it mean? It almost sounds like if you read it real, you know, real fast and and you're not really studying it, you're not thinking about it in context of the whole word. You can almost think like, well, man, it, it sounds like cheap grace. You know, oh, we're not under the law anymore. I mean, that means, you know, it almost sounds like that this fate that we live is lowering the standard. It's not lowering the standard at all. In fact, it's, it's raising the standard. Because you think about it, the standard, you know, that he gave was like, for instance, Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. You know, the, um, you, know you shouldn't be covetous of your neighbor. You know, think about how we're supposed to treat our neighbor with the law. But yet, but yet now the standard is so much higher. Because now we're called as believers to turn the other cheek. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves and love our enemy. We're, we're called to such a, we're called to, instead of going one mile, go two. And, and in fact, to go up above and beyond that is that it is, it is, we're called to be led in a way that that is the desire of our heart. The desire of our heart that we would want to do those things. To forgive 
a countless number of times. Where before the work of the Spirit in our lives, before the work of the Spirit in our lives, we were bound to the law and we all stood guilty, didn't we? Our flesh condemns us. Our evil nature condemns us. Even the good things that we might take part in were of no value. Do you believe that? Even the good things that you took part in were of no value because of that nature in which we perform them. I mean, I know for me, those things that I did before the cross, I did them for my reputation or a pat on the back or so I could feel good about myself. You know, go and help a person out, expect something in return. Praise, money, something. All those things that I did, they were in and of themselves might look good, but actually in imitating those things, I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. And and I, I believe that if you're honest with yourself, is that you would see the same for your own life. And because because naturally we, we're not going to be able to do to do for God without the Spirit of God. We can't on our own do it. He has to inhabit us. In fact, it calls that all of all of our good deeds are as filthy rags, aren't they? Before him. Because our motives were all wrong. But because of the work of Christ on the cross and because of His resurrection from the grave and because of the work of the Spirit, we now are under grace. We are now free to walk by the Spirit and to live as the Spirit directs. And He leads our path into righteousness. You think about all those things that it says what the fruit of the Spirit is. Now, before we get to those things... Um, I got this off of Legionnaire Ministries from R.C. Sproul. He goes through, and I think he actually used the words from the New King James. I think that's what version he was using. But because this list carries an ominous warning, it is important to give brief definition of the sins mentioned. The sins mentioned are as follows. And what I did, if y'all are following along in your outline, you can jot down a definition. Okay, you can either, which I'm going to go pretty quick, and I can give you these at the end if you want them. But you can either jot down a definition that I use or, or your, you know, your own paraphrased um, definition. But number one of those sins of the flesh is adultery. Adultery is the first sin mentioned and is a prohibition of the seventh commandment. It involves a violation of the sanctity of marriage uh, with illicit relations among married persons. Number two, fornication. Fornication usually has the reference reference of uh, illicit relations among unmarried people. It is usually associated with premarital illicit relations. In this text, however, it has a broader meaning to include illegitimate relations in the widest sense of the word, even homosexuality. Uncleanness. There is a sexual sense implied here on the word uncleanness, and it reflects a kind of behavior that popular language, what we would refer to as dirty. Dirty thoughts, dirty language, dirty, dirty talk, dirty jokes. Those things that we know that, that 
God would not approve of. Licentiousness. This word describes a wild, unruly lifestyle that is unrestrained and out of control. Idolatry. This refers to the pagan worship of idols or false gods. Idolatry is the broadest sense and can include such things as worship of material possessions. Idol. To place something in God's place. On His throne. That it would be the... The thing that we worship, the thing that we live for, is idolatry. Sorcery. This involves the practice of magic and the involvement with forbidden practices such as spiritualism, fortune telling, astrology, and the like. Hatred. This reflects a character of hostility, grudge bearing, and being unloving. Contentions. This is seen in quarrelsome attitude. One who is contentious is argumentative and combative. He has a chip on his shoulder. Jealousies. Jealousy reflects a self-centered spirit that despises other people's achievements or victories. It displays a lack of love. Um, And the last few are probably some of the pet sins of Christians. Possibly because they can be so easily concealed or explained away. That's what we do, right? I mean, here, we'll look at this list and we'll probably glance over the things that are us, that we struggle with. We will probably glance over them. We'll read this list and we'll see those big sins and, and have no problem condemning those. But have we, have we condemned all of these in our heart, in our life? Are we crucifying these, so to speak? Outburst of wrath. This indicates a character of hot-headed temper fits. Selfish ambitions. This contains the idea of a ruthless desire for personal gain at the expense of others. Dissensions. This does not rule out illegitimate forms of dissent. Rather, it characterizes again the contentious spirit that is constantly bickering, feuding, and creating dissension in groups. Heresies. The root meaning of this involves a willful choosing of opinions that go against established truth. It includes more than theological errors, for it can also refer to attitudinal and behavior errors. We do that, don't we? We'll, we'll call out others who might, you know, see the Bible differently, you know, and, and wrongly. But yet, we'll hold on to things if it fits us and what we believe. Do we do that? There, there is a liberal theology that is rampant in our churches today. To, to look at the Bible and to not see it as God's inerrant word. To say, well, you know, I know it says this, but, you know, that's not Jesus that's saying it. That's a prophet or that's Paul that's saying it. And so you separate God's word like it's, like it's not God who spoke it. Envy. 
Envy involves the desire to possess what belongs to someone else. This can include nurturing ill will towards those who enjoy certain benefits. Are we envious? Murders. This is self-explanatory. Most Christians are not outright murderers, but of course, Christ's words about hating one's brother should be kept in mind. Like hating that you are a murderer at heart. Drunkenness. This refers to the intemperate use of alcohol and by implication drug use. Revelries. This involves the lifestyle of wild party goers who enjoy uninhibited, illicit relations with many and drinking bouts. This list is a list of everything that is not of God and God despises. And it's, it's not all inclusive either. It doesn't, doesn't mean that it is a, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that other things can't be added to this list. But a great lie that's told from the, the pulpits of many in today's world is that God will accept you just the way you are. That's a great lie that's told from the pulpit. What horrible teaching that is. Jesus Christ endured death so that you may be transformed into something that you can never be on your own. Do you believe that? He loves you. That's why He died for you. But yet for, for us to thinking, to, for us to have that thinking that, that, that He's acceptable or He's accepting us just where we are and, and what we're doing. No. He calls us to repent. Calls us to repent. You were meant to be as a Christian defined by the characters laid out in the main text. This is it's the fruit of the Spirit. So it doesn't say fruits. It's not plural. It says the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the real gift in this, in this scenario is the Spirit. Is that That's what we get. And, and naturally, the fruit is going to come. And it's not separate. You, it's a package deal. That the fruit, all of these things, these nine, uh, this list of nine that, that I'm about to read off, that's what you should be in maturing in it day by day. Is that your life over time ought to look more and more. It ought to have more of this in it, not less. It says, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That means the law of Moses finds no flaw in the fruit of the Spirit. There's no flaw in those things. Those things are good and wholesome. The law of Moses finds no flaw in it. Against such things there is no law. Warren Wearsby puts it like this. He emphasizes that the fruit of the Spirit has a purpose. We must remember that this fruit is produced to be eaten, not to be admired and put on display. People around us are starving for love and joy and peace and all other of the other graces of the Spirit. When they find them in our lives, they know that we have something that they lack. We do not bear fruit for our own consumption. We bear fruit that others might be fed and helped. 
And that Christ might be glorified through it. The flesh may manufacture results that bring praise to us, but the flesh cannot bear fruit that brings glory to God. The flesh cannot do it. It takes patience, an atmosphere of the Spirit. It takes walking in the light. It takes the seed of the Word of God. And it takes a sincere desire to honor Christ. In short, the secret is the Holy Spirit. He alone can give us that freedom. Freedom from sin and self. He enables us to fulfill the law of love. To overcome the flesh and to bear fruit. The Holy Spirit. The the part of the Godhead that many Southern Baptists ignore. The Holy Spirit. The one that is the one that illuminates Scripture for us that we might see truth. The one that is the one that produces the, the fruit that we're to bear. The vices that we talked about in verses 19 to, through 21 are plural in nature. That means... You know, you can pick and choose. You know, if this one doesn't, uh, you know, kind of tickle your fancy, then you can choose this one. You know, those are the vices, those those sinful um, works of the flesh. But yet, it said works of the flesh, right? But yet here we see that the fruit listed is not plural, but singular in nature. Fruit of the Spirit. You get one, you should have all There shouldn't be one lacking. And those that are walking in the Spirit, remember it says, but if you walk in the Spirit. It is a supernatural event, much like the parable of the sower. When explaining the four different types of soil, Jesus speaks of the last two types in Luke 8, 14 and 15. He says this in Luke 8, 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear... But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. How many of us do that? I pray that we don't. I pray that the fruit is evident. But how many of us in our normal day-to-day lives, we let the cares of the world take away this fruit, take away what we should be focused on? And as for that in the good soul and those that who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I'm so glad it's a walk that he calls it a walk. This is a many times a very slow walk. But is there progress? Are you walking in the right direction? Can you see the fruit? Is the fruit evident? You know, it's hard trying to muster up enough within you to defeat the listed vices and summon up enough strength and resolve and character to become that which you read as the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it's not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible for for us to muster up enough strength to be loving will always fail. 
to be patient will always fail. If we're trying to do it on our own, if these things we're not praying about, if we're not praying for more of the Holy Spirit, if we're not praying to become more patient, if we're not praying to become loving, then that means we're trying to do it on our own and we're not trying to rely on God in His strength. Tell me how I'm wrong. If you are trying to be these things without relying on the Holy Spirit, then you are doing these things seemingly on your own and you will fail. If you're trying to put away the vices on your own and without the work of the Holy Spirit, if you're trying to put away any of those things that you struggle with on your own and you're not praying for God to crucify your flesh in that nature, then you are you are doing it on your own and you will fail. Our repentance is nothing without the Spirit. In Matthew 3, starting in verse 7, when He, Jesus, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to His baptism, He said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Coming and getting wet isn't enough. Coming and doing some kind of work is not enough. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It has to be real. It has to be, it has to be from the heart. It has, to be, it has to be God that has done a change in our hearts. It says, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. God can do anything. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We need to listen, church. You know, Tony talked about this morning. I mean, whether it's 20 of us or 200 of us, it, you know, yes, we'd love to have 200. We, in fact, we need to be a church that is out recruiting. We need to go get people. We, I feel like, and I will point to myself first, that we haven't had an urgency in this church to share. You know, I feel like there is so much that God has blessed our church with. I love my church family. And I'm like, am I trying to keep them from people? Why would I not want to share them with others? You know, we need to be about the Father's business. And, and so much of the Father's business is to go and get people and tell them the truth of the Gospel. To share with what we have. Are we doing that as a church? Individually, are you doing that? With this week, will you begin? Will you be about the Father's business? Will you invite people to Wednesday night? Will you invite somebody to have a Bible study with you? To have prayer time with you? Will you knock on your neighbor's door? Will you call up somebody, touch base with somebody on social media? Will you insert yourself in the lives of others? It doesn't even have to be forced. How many people do you talk to every day? You interact with people all the time, don't you? It doesn't have to be forced. It's very natural when we gaze on the Spirit. When we gaze on Christ, when we gaze on the Father, we gaze on God. It happens naturally. And it should. 
You don't need to become more loving and less hateful in a sense. You need the Spirit. And with the Spirit, you will become more loving. You will become more joyful. You will become more peaceful. You will become... That is the fruit. That is going to... If you are of the Spirit, you will bear that fruit. John 15, it says this, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. Sometimes it is painful that it may bear more fruit. I am the vine. This is verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. We can't bear fruit apart from him. You know, there's such a focus on the gifts of the Spirit. You know, many people focus on that. But it is, it is the fruit of the Spirit and how they know that we are His. How, how do we know? How do people know that we're disciples? How do they know that we're Christians? By love. By the fruit of the Spirit. That's how they know. It's, it is not by the gifts, but rather the fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified. You want to glorify God? It says that you bear much fruit. You know, you know what your focus ought to be tonight, tomorrow morning, when you get up? Our focus, our focus as a church, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your word so I can bear much fruit. So I can glorify you. The more fruitful my life is tomorrow, the more God is glorified. That means the more loving you are, the more faithful you are, the more peaceful you are, the more joyful you are, the more you glorify God. You want to know, like, what is my purpose tomorrow? Bear fruit. Bear fruit, church. How do you do that? You get in His Word. God, show me who you are. Because what the Spirit is doing is showing you how to be like Him. It, all the fruit is, this is what Jesus Christ is like. You want to glorify God? Be like Jesus. Be joyful like Jesus. Be peaceful like Jesus. Be long-suffering like Jesus. Be loving. Be humble. Be those things. And you will glorify God. And it says, and so prove to be my disciples. Just because we cannot earn our salvation, and we cannot, does not mean that we cannot show our gratitude for the salvation that God has brought. It's not just our privilege, because it is. It is our privilege. But it is also, Christian, your duty. Your duty. It's your duty. Your command. To love God. To love God with all your heart. To love your neighbor. It's a command. You got no, you gave up your rights. Your rights were bought. Your life was bought, purchased. You gave, you gave up your rights to be racist. You gave them up. You gave up your rights to be envious. 
You gave up those rights, but now you get to walk in freedom. Because we don't need to be those things. That is so short-sighted and, and full of despair and hopelessness to be caught in those things. We gave up those rights. He purchased our life. In Matthew 12, 33, it says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. If you skip down a little bit, it says, You will know them by their fruit. Can people, by what you speak, will people know that you're a Christian? By what you look at, will people know it, that you're a Christian? By what you laugh at, will people know that you're a Christian? By what you watch, by what you post on social media, will people know that you're a Christian? By the relationships that you keep, will people know that you're a Christian? By your faithfulness to your church, will people know that you're a Christian? With your prayer life, will people know that you're a Christian? With your study time, will people know that you're a Christian? The way that you treat your wife, the way that you treat your husband, the way that you treat your kids, will people know that you're a Christian? You say, man, that is a lot of weight. It is, isn't it? Until you say, Holy Spirit, you got to do this. I can't do it. I can't. There's no way I can do it. I'm always going to fail as a husband. I'm always going to fail as a father. I have bias in me and I have prejudices in me and I have all kind of sinful desires within me. I can't do it. The pressure's too much until you realize that you are looked at as a son or daughter and it is by Christ's righteousness that you'll be judged and now that you let the Holy Spirit take and lead and guide and direct you, and as you gaze at God, the Father, who gave up His only Son, if we gaze at what was given up for us, if we understand that the love that was showered upon us and the grace that was showered upon us, our hearts will be transformed and the fruit will be bared. Naturally, naturally, you'll become more loving and the biases will go away. Naturally, you'll become more peaceful and anxiety will will start to pass. Naturally, those things will be overcome. The struggle will be daily. And when and when uh, one victory is won, one battle is won, another one's right around the corner or right in the middle of it. But are you in the battle? Flesh versus the Spirit. This is the last Scripture I'm leaving you with. I know it's been long. But please listen closely. <clears throat> we'll, we'll, we'll kind of finish how we started. Everybody turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So not the same place, but we're going to follow in Chad's lead. And I want everybody to stand once they found that Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5. Man, Chris, you're fast. Had it. 
Were you already there? Some, some people will call that favored. I think he may have been reading ahead. I don't know. Alright. I ought to make him read since he found it so quick. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. Starting in verse 14. I still, still hear pages. So I'll give you a second. 2 Corinthians 5. Starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Some versions say compels us. Because we have concluded this. Church, does the love of Christ compel you? Does it control you? Because that's what, that's what we're talking about tonight. That we're no longer our own. That God has done something within us. That now happens naturally. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. See, you gave it up. You don't live for yourself anymore. Quit trying to. Right? Put your business aside and think about what Christ wants from you. Isn't it about time we do that, church? Isn't it time that we do that in our lives? Is that we put our selfishness, our pride aside? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's saying this to believers in Corinth. He's saying this to believers. He's having to remind them they're a new creation. Guys, this isn't just when we get a new body. This war is going on right now. And you are a new creation because you have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you. And when you refuse to let Him take over and to let Him control you and that He would bear fruit for you, you sin against the Spirit. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now church, because you've been reconciled, your duty is said from now on is to do what? Reconcile others. Our whole purpose, lay down the mantle which you thought you lived for and take on the mantle that He says you live for. Lay it down. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself. Your life is yours no longer. Not, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
He's entrusted us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does your banner wave today? If it's anything other than Christ, you wave the wrong banner. If it is anything other than Jesus Christ, you wave the wrong banner today. Your whole existence is to spread Christ to others. His love. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It was costly, the price that He paid. But I thank God that He paid it. Because without Him intervening in my life, I would have spiraled out of control. And in so many ways, I'm just so close from doing so even today, if it not for the grace of Christ. Let's pray. God, my Father, God, I, I feel like it was a mess. God, but I know that Your Holy Spirit is so powerful. And that the Spirit can take a message in Your Word. So much of it was preached tonight. God, I know because I read it directly from Your Word. And I know that You can do with that whatever You please. God, I pray, Lord, that You would break our hearts, Father. This should be a church. This should be a people where the fruit of the Spirit is overflowing, God. And that that brings glory to You. God, I pray, Lord, that we would lay aside pride and that we would learn to crucify our flesh and that we would learn to lean on You that we might bear fruit and prove to be disciples. I pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.